2: 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations
1: at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app They are Sports Illustrated. It's amazing. This incredible body of work. I really appreciate the integrity. Everything you do is well done. You guys do a great job. We love it. What can we say? He's Chris Mannix. He's employed by Sports Illustrated. The announcer's got it in for me. There you go. This is the Crossover
0: NBA Podcast. If you have a problem with it, build a team that can beat them. Hosted by the
1: one and only. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Chris Mannix.
0: All right, welcome back to another episode of the Crossover NBA Podcast. Glad you could join me this week. A lot going on in the NBA. We had DeMarcus Cousins making his season debut. You've got the Utah Jazz kind of doing what the Utah Jazz did last year, which is make a run in the month of January. Uh, the Nets playing good basketball, and it is all-star season. I have completed my official all-star ballot. Some questionable, uh, I don't know if a questionable is the right word, but certainly some Uh, difficult decisions needed to be made in some of those positions. Talk about all that and much more. Bring in the great Sarah Kustak. You can see her on the Yes Network, Fox Sports 1. She's everywhere doing a little bit of everything. Sarah, thanks for coming back in studio.
2: Manix, thanks for having me. This you is are... always one of one of my favorite things to do, so I appreciate it. Uh, okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. Of all of all the jobs I have, this is this is one of my favorites.
0: It's one of my favorites to come out in the freezing cold weather <laughs> and sojourn over to the studio it's, to come to a it's podcast. good for the soul. The cold it is good the cold
2: soul. is good for the soul. It
0: feeds the soul. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's talk first about DeMarcus Cousins. He made his debut, anticipated debut on Friday night against the Clippers. And it really couldn't have gone too much better. I mean, 14 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists in 15 minutes. He did foul out, which is amazing to do that in 15 (laughs) minutes. Uh, But he followed that up with a 2-for-9 performance on Monday. He did have 9 rebounds in that game. Uh, Your reaction first to what you saw from DeMarcus Cousins about a year, a little less than a year uh, after the uh, Achilles injury.
2: I, it, uh, Mannix, to be honest, I'm blown away. And y- you never really know what to expect. I know that DeMarcus has been practicing with the team for quite some time and thinking about the fact though of coming back from an Achilles injury and just he looked so much more spry to me than I anticipated the way he was running the floor and overall I mean I think regardless of how he looked I'm sure the Golden State Warriors would figure that it would take some time to knock off the rust and just get used to game action because we know that's so much different than what you're doing when you're on the practice floor but I, I was just impressed with how well he fit in to what Golden State does, how they play, um, the physicality. But I mean, it's going to be scary. It is going to be absolutely scary to think about what they can do with him on the floor in a position where they have not had someone as skilled and talented um, as he is even at this point.
0: Yeah, I think he knows, too, that he can go out and go full energy for as long as he's out there on the floor because he's yep. not going to be yep. out there on the floor. All that long. I think if it was a different team, if he was back say in New Orleans, he might pace himself a little bit because eventually they'd be building up to 30, 35 minutes and he'd have to be a focal point of that team. He does not have to be a focal point of this team. He just has to be a guy that during that 15-20 minute stretch gives them energy, gives them offense, protects the paint, and he did that. I mean that that injury as you know, is is really tough to overcome in that first year. We've seen a number of different guys, from Chauncey Billups on down, that have slowly worked their way back after suffering that injury. But watching Cousins out there, it, it really gave you a, a small sample of what this team could be. Offensively, I mean pick-and-rolls with DeMarcus Cousins. Oh, it's, like, he's I a mean, monster,
2: and that's the thing, pick and roll, And that's why I was so impressed. Like, he can pick-and-pop, he can pick-and-roll. I think that first basket he had, like the dominance he threw down a dunk, because you think about this injury, and I've never torn an Achilles, but I tore my calf, and – Part of it, obviously, is him physically coming back, but just mentally coming back and thinking about that and making sure that that's not a part of any hesitation with how you're playing. And and even for him to say that he felt out of rhythm and he felt like he was stepping over his feet on every move certainly did not look like that. But he's got so many tools in the toolbox and to figure out or for this Golden State team, to know that you could put a guy in the post and just be fisc. If you need to pound it on the inside, you can pound it on the inside. He did such a good job of setting screens, getting guys open, um, it, really all the things that you could look for throughout the course of the offense. He seems to just be buying into being one of those guys. And to your point, it doesn't have to be the number one option, the number two option. He can just go in and play freely and do some of the little things for this team. And it, and it seems like that's his mindset. It's about fitting in as a good teammate, fitting in to the team concept and, and ultimately trying to win a ring.
0: You know, I'm watching that Clipper game, and I'm just thinking to myself, that's a wrap. Like, that's a wrap. Yep. Like, there's, there's no... Like, forget the postseason. You know, just you play <laughs> it, and whoever comes out of the East can get a nice participation trophy, but nobody's beating that team 4-7. out of seven. Would have been hard enough w- without DeMarcus Cousins, but add him into the mix. And look, the, the, the rest of the regular season for Cousins, is basically going to be a, an extended preseason. Just work his way back into the mix, get himself as close to full strength as he can be, and come April, let's see if he can turn on the Jets in the playoffs. He's just a perfect fit. Now, this team was already a pretty good rebounding team. That surprised me. They were top ten in the NBA in rebounding, but they're vulnerable to giving up points in the paint. I know on Christmas Day at Zubac had a bunch of points right. in the paint right. in that yep. game. You know, Cousins being in there is going to change all that. He's going to be a rim protector and interior presence for those 15, 20 minutes a game. That's a game changer. When you can shore up really one of your only weaknesses... I just it, it's... that's
2: the thing, and that's been the one question, right? And and there's been solid players who have come through throughout the course of the past couple of seasons, but that's been the one position that's been a little bit of a question, or if you want to call it, relatively speaking, a weakness. And and now you shore that up, and then you think about, I mean, just the offensive end, like you can't. You, you, you can't double him you can't double other players. I mean offensively I just don't know we've we've said it before they got three of the best shooters in the history of the game but I, I'm not sure additionally how you stop them on the offensive end now yeah. and and it, it gives you an opportunity to mix them I mean for Steve Kerr the combinations the lineups who's on the floor when and with who I mean just adds to the depth so yeah I mean, I never like to think that there's a wrap on what's going to happen at the end of the season and certainly, you know, you never know crazier things have happened, but um but it is scary watching him with them now in the lineup.
0: Yeah, but I honestly don't think that anything crazier could possibly happen than Golden State not winning this year just because of the you know the, the landscape. I mean, Knock Houston on wood.
2: Is, I don't ever, but injury like injuries always. Play. Injuries, you, okay. You never it, know. It, in, if, in, it, if, if an
0: injury comes up, and let's
2: up. hope not. And I never hope that of any things. But you, you know, there's uh, there's always possibilities. But I just i that that team is just an absolute imposing force. Uh, if the
0: roof of Oracle caves in, <laughs> then maybe maybe we see something different happen. But I mean, we'll, we'll talk more about the Western Conference contenders. But it, th- there's no clear. I mean, I guess uh, it depends on if you trust Denver. And and they've been good, but it'll be their first go around with this group in the playoffs. I don't know what kind of expectations you can have for that type of team. Houston's clearly weaker, and they've been battling injuries all season long. Despite the fact that James Harden is ridiculous,
2: you believe in Oklahoma City? Uh, I. <laughs> Quite an answer, but but I think <laughs> I don't, I don't. but uh, quite an answer. That, but I think that goes back to two. Like we have talked so much about Golden State throughout the course of the past, last season, or at different moments during the regular season of boredom, or are they getting bored playing? It, to me, this adds another component. This adds another piece. This is similar to where you see a guy that's vying for his first ring, and and it seems like there's more. Motivation maybe at this point of the year than we've seen out of this golden State team at times, and so maybe some of that boredom boredom ceases to exist because they've got this new piece and they want to see how he fits it it adds uh, a little bit more intrigue to what it is that they're doing on the floor
0: well it's the one thing I thought they needed to do after last season was flesh out the bench with guys like cousins who haven't won a championship I mean it's like what David West brought to them a couple of years ago right. David West the veteran, been around the block many times, had not won that ring. He comes there and he brings a bit of a hunger. Sean Livingston did at the time as well. Cousins, I think, will bring that. And Cousins, you know, this is going to be the DeMarcus Cousins redemption tour this year because <laughs> yeah. he is all about A, winning that championship this year, and B, showing he's healthy and getting that money next year, which brings to my next point. D- does anything you'll see from DeMarcus Cousins the rest of this year, will it impact What you think he should happen to him this summer. I guess the bigger question is where does he go? Is he the consolation prize for the players that don't, or the teams that don't get, you know, one of the top tier free agents, or is he a top tier free agent?
2: That's an extraordinary question. And and I do think that. I'm an extraordinary person. That's (laughs) that's up for debate. That's up for debate. No, but I think it's contingent upon. How he, I, I do think it's contingent upon how he looks, how he plays, how healthy he is, how he fits into this scheme and this system because what we've seen on him in the early parts of this year is what he's done not just about scoring, not just about you know being able to stretch the floor, but how can he score within the context of an offensive system and, and what does that fit with other teams around the league? What are they looking for? And So I think it will be interesting. And, and just what does he care about most? Where does he want to be? Um, I, I, I think the slate's pretty open for teams, you know, the, the, is, are the Lakers an option Clippers? Could they be not? I mean, where you can probably look down a variety of different teams that would love to have a player like him, but also just the, the character that he continues to show what type of teammate. Is he, how is he in this locker room? I I think there's just going to be a lot of eyes on a lot of little things outside of just the production um, or the numbers that you're looking at that he puts up throughout the remainder of the year.
0: I'd still be leery, like if I'm a team like the Clippers, and the Clippers are looking for their alpha. They've had a a great year, but, you know, Tobias Harris is not the alpha. Uh, Shea Gilders-Alexander is not the alpha. They've got a bunch of really good players and are looking for that one great guy to lead them. I'd be leery about tabbing DeMarcus Cousins as that guy. If I'm the Lakers, though, and I've got LeBron James in the mix, and I've got some younger players and some other pieces there, adding DeMarcus Cousins wouldn't worry me quite as much. Now, I don't think the Lakers will make him their first priority, but I think DeMarcus Cousins, if he sits back and waits out kind of the first wave of free agency, there are going to be a number of teams out there that are going to be loaded with cap space that look around and say, well, i got to get somebody, and he's right. going to get a chance to make real money. Well,
2: and it's going to be quite, you know, see what Kawhi Leonard ends up doing, see what Kevin Durant ends up doing. I mean, I, you can go down the list of the handful of Kyrie Irving. You know, there's different positions, but what do those players end up doing? Do they end up staying where they're at? Do they choose a different location? than then, to your point, if he sits back and waits, how that affects what teams need and, what their option one may have been, as opposed to now where the landscape is kind of showing out, given where some of those other top tier free agents go,
0: yeah, and maybe be. in
2: in for, i mean he he could end up being one of those again, i think I think a lot of it is contingent upon what you see out of him throughout the remainder of this year and in the playoffs.
0: yeah, he's got to go to an organization though that's stable, I mean after Sacramento. You know, he, he can't be allowed to kind of run wild out there. I, I just don't think – I don't think you can make him the face of the franchise, not after everything we've seen over the last uh, seven, eight years. And
2: see, I'm not, I'm not convinced of that because I think guys okay. mature. They have some perspective. I'm sure this injury afforded him a lot of that and just the gratitude that he probably has to be back on the floor and healthy and playing. And I also think just being – whether it's, you know, for the short-term year, Golden State Warriors are, are – a exceptional organization and just fitting in and being with those guys and being around those players and seeing how they look at different things The Steph Curry, as Clay Thompson. I, I think in many ways that can kind of infiltrate what a guy thinks and how he looks at things. And, and we've seen this with so many players. Like, years matter. Experience matters. Maturity matters. And you can't just hold a guy to what they were in years past.
0: Okay, so let me ask you this then, because we're going to get to the Nets a little bit later on, but they're a team – flush with cap space next summer, would DeMarcus Cousins make sense in Brooklyn with that team? Because that's a similar team that has a lot of good, nice young pieces there, but not the alpha. Would that be a good fit for him?
2: Um, I I think well a variety of things and that's something I actually have not thought about uh, surprisingly and I would I I think the Nets have boded well not necessarily having an alpha and I think in many ways you know D'Angelo Russell is showing to be some of that Spencer Dinwiddie but a lot of the veteran guys they have that may not be as putting up as big of numbers but a, Ed Davis Jared Dudley Damari Carroll those are the guys who are the the true voices and energy behind the team. Um, and they've found a nice chemistry, and I think that's where a lot of Questions come into play to your point in different organizations. How does this guy fit in with our group? And it's not even someone you like in his personality or not, but how does it? How does it mesh? How does it fit? And then, of course, on the floor, how it fits. And I think you know, for the Nets right now, they're looking at Jared Allen, a 20-year-old who's been a monster on the inside um, for them. I think they look at him as the future face and uh, of the that center position. So I, I don't know. That's a, that's a great question. Um, that's a great question. I, All right, we'll, we'll put a yeah. pin in
0: the nets for a second there, say, except to say, Jared Dudley, let's go Eagles. Way to go.
2: Oh, that's right. You got your Boston your Boston Love that. buddies. <laughs> Love
0: that about Jared Dudley. Still going strong, representing BC. Um, in the Western Conference, though, the Utah Jazz are doing kind of what we saw the Jazz do around this time last year, which is start to make a run. The Jazz lost to Portland on Monday, though. That snapped a six-game winning streak. Uh, They're back in the playoff picture, Sarah. They're just now two games back of the number three seed in the Eastern Conference. This feels like it's a little bit different, though, than last year. Last year, the Jazz got Rudy Gobert back in the lineup, and that kind of sparked their run. This year, it's like some injuries happened, and they moved some pieces around, and they just seem to work. What do you make of... The resurgence of the Utah Jazz 2.0. I,
2: I think this team goes as Donovan Mitchell goes, and we've seen I mean, such important pieces that you have, of course, in Rudy Gobert and um, what Joe Ingles adds, and they've been playing. I mean, those last, the six game win streak or five get when they were on that little bit of run, they were really essentially playing without a point guard. I mean, they had the injuries to Rubio and to Neto, um, Exum, of course. So I think that uh, Donovan Mitchell who I'm such a huge fan of and so impressed with how he plays. I think at the start of the season he struggled a little bit. He struggled with the shots, struggled shooting. I think naturally anytime when you're in your second season and you've had the type of year that he had in his rookie season, defenses play you a little different. They focus on you differently. I think they were able to do so given some of those guys surrounding him, but I think he started to figure that out. He's finding his spots differently. He's on a stretch of – Offensively, his shooting numbers and percentages are are some of the best in his young career, but I think the more that he gets back into a rhythm and comfort level and figuring out how he can find spots to score while still facilitating, that to me has entirely changed the dynamic of how Utah is playing. And I also think that for them, like their schedule was was yeah. messy in the early part of the season. They were on the road a bunch, but all, it wasn't just the number of road games, but they'd be on a, a good number of road trip. They'd come back for one home game, they'd leave again. Like I looked through the thing and I'm like, man, that's challenging for any team so the schedule softens up a little bit for them the remainder of the way they're not on the road quite as much so I think all those factors come into play and I do believe that when a team has been through it before and of course they got Gobert back last year but they're in their comfort zone now okay we did this last season and you start to have a little bit more confidence about how you can replicate that and in the push that you have as you head into all-star break and then hopefully heading into the postseason
0: two things that that jumped off to, to me about the jazz early part of the season one is the schedule that you talked about uh, i saw the the utah play in toronto on on uh, new year's day and you know talking to some people in their front office they just kept saying you know the schedule sucked the schedule sucked it gets better we think we're going to get better the other part about donovan mitchell was teams were really loading up on him for the first time. And, you know, he came out of nowhere at the start of last year, and once teams really started to figure him out, it was too late. He was already rolling and playing with extreme confidence. Coming into this season, without that that obvious number two scoring option, uh, they were really, really locked in on Donovan Mitchell, and that contributed... To his lower shooting percentages, he's not a great outside shooter anyway, but uh, no. contribute to those lower shooting no. percentages.
2: And they they weren't letting him get to the rim. Like right. to me, that was the major. You you watch a lot of those games. He had gotten to the rim with such ease so much last season, and that defenses were forcing him to take those mid range shots. I mean, that's what so many NBA defenses are predicated on forcing a lot of mid range shots and tough long contested too, But they did such a great job of that, and then also making sure that they were running him off the three point line. So it was tough, and I'm impressed with how well. He's adjusted, started to figure that out. But um, early on, it just felt like he couldn't get to the rim the same way in the free throw line and things like that, the same way that we saw last season. I think what's changed,
0: though, in the last few weeks is, you know, Mitchell's certainly playing a lot better and has embraced that kind of point guard-ish role. But Joe Ingles, I mean, Joe Ingles is doing some (laughs) incredible things with this team. Like Mr. YMCA is out there as more of a facilitator you know, especially with that second unit, uh, and then he's ever perhaps been before, and it's been successful. I mean, I think they made kind of a a subtle shift with what they're doing with their rotations in in keeping Gobert and Mitchell together, and and sometimes keeping Ingles with kind of the second unit, second tier type of guys. And he's had an impact. He's been able to you know play high level defense. He's always defending the top level defensive uh, top level offensive player. Yep. On the other team, and on the offensive side of the ball, look, his shooting percentages are down. He's at about 36% from three this year, but he has been a quality playmaker for this team. And with all their point guards out, I know Ricky Rubio just came back, but with Rubio out, with XM out, with everybody out of that lineup, Joe Ingles has been a a point forward for this team and I think that's had a big impact on their offense. It's
2: a tremendous impact and to your point there and that's why his shooting number is down a little bit and sometimes that happens when a player that's accustomed to taking a lot of three-point shots or getting some of those looks is forced to be more of a creator and a playmaker but but that's where you have some confidence in them. You assume Ingles' numbers are going to come up from the three-point line. Kyle Korver will be an ad for them from the three-point line. And you kind of look at some of those other players, and and so much of what they do, of course, is is defensively and how they're able to really build their foundation and how they play defensively. So I I think – with that, that's where it starts. That's where the basis is. And then if you kind of go from there, everyone starts to feed off some of the confidence. And we saw a lot of that in, in the playoffs last season. I mean, you think about what they did against Oklahoma City, uh, the run they made at Houston. I mean, that, that's some of the stuff that started to come into play. So
0: are they, I mean, it's a long way to go, but are they a conference finals threat to you? Assuming they don't have to play Golden State until then, are they a conference <sighs> finals threat
2: to you? I have a huge amount of belief in Quinn Snyder and how he's able to game plan throughout the course of a a playoff series, and I saw a lot of that. I called for Turner some of the the VR games in the the Utah Jazz-Houston series and Oklahoma City series, and... I think, as we know in the playoffs, it becomes a possession game, right? So what they're able to do defensively, the points they score, and I know offense is always a question with them, but it's not like they're getting points off a fast break or off points off you know, turnovers necessarily where that's the biggest part of their offense. And so sometimes that goes away when you're in a playoff series and when it's more of a possession game. So I think some of that slower pace and some of those type of things in the postseason favors how they can play and then if they can – figure out ways to score. Speaking of favors, Derek favors, add him into the mid, but the, they've got the inside game. If Donovan Mitchell plays, it continues to play at this level. We're seeing now and improves. He's got another year of playoff experience under his belt. I I think it makes a difference. And I think ha- them having been there last year, of course, bodes well for what they have hopefully learned from that year. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm ready to say that they would be a conference final contender, but I do think their their lack of offense or some of their lack of offensive firepower or players that are not typically known for their their skill on that end of the floor doesn't concern me quite as much. Yeah,
0: I, I just don't know if they have enough offensive firepower, even to get out of the first round. I know they did it last year, but that Oklahoma City team was, was not fully functional at that point. They were a completely different defensive team than the one we've seen for most of the season. Paul George yeah. is a much better player this year than he was last year. You know That lack of a true second-scoring option, I think that's going to hurt them. I really do. And that's why I think, as much as any other team, I'd be really proactive at the trade deadline if I was the Jazz. I, I don't know. Look, I've I floated on this podcast, been talked before, Kevin Love, and I, I don't know what Kevin Love's health status is. I don't know if he's still really hurt or... Or if, if it's, it's kind of one of those Cleveland of, things, yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah, 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 take your time, you know. Don't, don't right. worry about it. Go, go out to Utah and train there. Or, you know, I, I don't know what, I don't know what it is. But if Kevin Love is is healthy enough to, to play, that would be a guy I would target. Kevin Love in that system just makes too much sense. Playing off of Rudy Gobert, giving you that floor spacing for the other rebounder, a guy that can score and lead that second unit if necessary. That just makes too much sense. They've got that favors contract, and it's non-guaranteed in the second year, so it's a a huge asset for a team that's looking to cut salary uh, this offseason. The Jazz are probably not going to be able to lure a top-tier free agent out to Utah. That's just kind of a fact of life. Maybe they're better now than they were in years past, but I don't know if they're going to be able to lure a top-tier guy. Kevin Love could kind of be that top-tier guy, and having Love and Mitchell and Gobert... I think that's an even better team going into the postseason than the one they have right now.
2: I, that's a convincing argument, and and that's always been the question with favors and with Gobert and you know kind of the inability to play them together because you're so compacted on the inside. So having a player at the four spot that can stretch the floor like a Kevin Love would seem like a natural fit. Um, yeah, I mean, I I don't know the the exactness of the money or how things would work or who else you know you would need to include and how that would impact. The way Utah's roster looks, but the the question always is offensively and what they can do offensively. And with a player like Gobert and the ability that Donovan Mitchell has to work a ball screen, play a pick and roll, and play on the inside, mm-hmm. it would make perfect sense to have someone that can balance the floor from the three point line.
0: Yeah, I I like everything about Utah except for the scoring. That's the one piece of the puzzle I just don't think they have, and you know that's why, it, and I've said this before that. You know, when you ask Jazz officials, like, wow, does Donovan Mitchell, you know, being there, you know, kind of ease the blow of losing Gordon Hayward? They kind of look at you quizzically, like, what are you talking about? Like, if we had Donovan Mitchell and Gordon Hayward, right. look at where we'd be. Right. That's the perfect, uh, perfect score. All right, let's step into your wheelhouse for a second here and talk about the Brooklyn Nets, who— Without the benefits, the high level. Man, it's exactly. my
2: dream every time I come on this podcast, <laughs> right. time after time, is that the there Nets. will be a time that we, we talk about the Nets, and they're deserving now. Continue. Well, here,
0: here we are as we speak, and the Brooklyn Nets are right in the thick of the NBA playoff picture. As we speak, number six in the uh, in the NBA, fighting with Miami, fighting with Charlotte, proceeding uh, in the postseason. They have done all this. Without the benefit of all those high draft picks, all of which have gone to Boston, the Tatum's, the Browns, they're wearing Celtic uniforms when well, they probably should have been wearing uh, Nets uniforms, and yet here they are. Karis Lavert goes down, they go on a run. D'Angelo Russell is playing great. Tell me from the your percent uh, your uh, vantage point of watching them every day. What is it that stands out about this Nets team?
2: I, I would say them being a team. And there's a lot of cliches that get tossed around in sports and in the NBA about why teams are good or why they've been successful. I I can't remember the last time I have been around a group that has cared so much about one another, who's bought in to the big picture, as much as this group um, who has such an amount of resiliency, regardless of what's happening. And this is, I mean, truly it is a credit to what Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson started three seasons ago in, in their push for, okay, we're, we're going to get the best talent that we could find and in, in certain situations, um, whether in the draft or um, through trades, but also making sure that first and foremost they were bringing in high-character guys that they felt like fit the culture, and culture has been such a buzzword. Um, but, but I have sat here and watched it develop. I mean, it, it is a tangible thing around – this group, and it, when you watch them on the floor, and, and credit to Kenny Atkinson, because to me, this has been one of the most special things to watch how he's coached this guy is. one there's development and you can go down the roster. Of guys who have taken a jump from the off season, and they all spent all off season in Brooklyn. But you know whether it's Spencer Dinwiddie or D'Angelo Russell or Joe Harris, Jared Allen, the list keeps going. But also just this sense of, and if you really watch Brooklyn games throughout the course of these last few weeks, and when they've been on this run even before. Different guys have started because of injury. Different guys have closed out games. There's not a set five that's that's closing out a game. And it's the contingent upon matchups about how guys are playing. I mean, there's accountability on the floor. And so there's been many occasions where D'Angelo Russell, whom I think should be an all-star, hasn't closed out games. And same goes for Spencer Dinwiddie. But it's um, it's it's been fun to watch how they figured out offensively, just playing through the pass, sharing the basketball, all the things you talk about in, in unselfishness, and th- that's created a, just a flow and a confidence to how they play on that and the floor, and through the stretch, they've improved some defensively, they've imp- improved rebounding, um, but I do think even heading into the season, Kenny Atkinson and, and the staff have had a lot of tweaks to their offense and the actions they're running, how to get guys open better, um, figuring out ways to really maximize some of these players' strengths. And then you've got, you know, D'Angelo Russell and Spencer Dinwiddie, who have been such major factors in, in why um, they've been able to close out games in, in their ability to execute.
0: Okay, so Karis LeVert goes down in mid-November. Uh, into December, long losing streak. You know, I, I, I wondered... And I think there was some validity to it if Kenny Atkinson was going to survive at that point. What turned it around? What 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 changed with this team in early December, right around that Toronto game? Well,
2: yeah, and it was the Toronto You know what's crazy, too, that eight-game win streak, and or eight-game losing streak, I should say, um, right before the night before the Toronto game, they had a players-only film session, uh, which was suggested by the coaching staff. They said, maybe you need to look at things on your own, and you guys all be together, and the players will point to that being – the difference maker. They were able to kind of call each other out and look at different things, how they were playing. But it, the the crazy thing is that eight-game losing streak, it, to me, not they, they weren't able to finish games. They weren't mm-hmm. able to close games. And they, but the, the manner of which they were playing and everything throughout those games is the same way they're playing now. So it was just a matter of how do we find ways to close out a game and get that confidence. And so, It switched to – I mean, really, you look at one shot and Fred Van Vliet missing a a good look from a three-point line changed the complexion of, I think, what this Nets team did in the trajectory of the season, Um, but it was that consistent – I'll I'll tell you that eight-game losing streak, every game I would show up to the next game looking at this team, like, how are they in these games against some of the toughest competition in the league? And despite the fact they kept losing, they'd come back in an awful way, like, really hard heartbreaking ways for a group and they would still come back with the same focus and the same energy. And, um, you know, the same, there was never any fractures. They were all in it together. And so, um to me that's you know that speaks a lot when you go back to college you can look great and like each other and enjoy playing and have a lot of fun which they are now when you're winning but I think more is shown when a team is going through such a rough stretch.
0: What's your read on D'Angelo Russell because to me he's one of the most interesting free agents to be this off season because if you just kind of took the name off and and put You know, just the stats lined up one after the other. You see the improvement in in offense every single year. He's at a career high in assists this season. His three-point shooting is up to about 38%. His field goal percentage overall right around 44%. Everything seems to be improving. And now you can't really make the argument that he's putting up numbers on a bad team because it's likely a playoff team this year. But I, I still... I don't know. When I talk to people around the league, I mean, is this guy, what's this guy worth? And nobody seems to know. Like, there's, I think there's an argument that Terry Rozier is more valuable to some people than than D'Angelo Russell is. Why do you think that is?
2: Um, I don't know why that is, and I don't know if that goes back to the reputation or the words spoken about him in his early years with the Lakers, but... From my perspective and what I've seen out of him since he's walked through the doors in Brooklyn, he has been nothing but a true professional. Teammates love him. The coaching staff loves him. Front off, I mean, all of us. He's an upstanding guy when it comes to how he acts and is off the court. And the fact that his teammates love playing with him and on the court, Maddox, I mean, I, I continue to be so impressed with his IQ, the way he sees the game, the way he reads the defense. And and his game is a little different than some point guards you see. Like, he's not a blow-by-ability point guard that's going to, you know, get to the front of the rim off of every play. But how he knows how to work a ball screen, how to use his body, how to manipulate a defense – and he sees it's not just about his defender, like where he, how he's able to pass with such precision because he sees the whole floor, understands where help sides coming from. I mean, he has been excellent from the three point line, but he can create a shot for himself at, at any point, and he can get to his spots. And I think, you know, how another huge aspect this season has been how he's improved defensively, and in that, I do credit. <clears throat> Kenny Atkinson, the coaching staff, getting him to buy into how he can be a better defender, but he's improved that. He leads the team in deflections, and also he's limited his turnovers. And I think some of that just comes from from growing up, maturity, focus, focusing on every possession. But he he to me is an elite level player, and he just keeps getting better. And I think that goes back to the thing we forget: like he should what be a senior in high school now, or in his or in in college now, college, or in yeah. his first, you know, so. Sometimes it takes time. I mean, he's 22 years old, and it's it, it's a matter of figuring out the game, figuring out how you can help make your teammates better. And, it, and it's been one of the biggest reasons. I mean, everyone has contributed, but it's been a huge reason why the Nets have been able to continue winning. But I think above all that, it's, it's really impressed me, uh, the teammate that he has been and how much he cares about teammates and how much he's bought into – the team concept. Because as I said, there's a lot of games he hasn't finished games. There's a lot of games, you know, in, in moments that if he hasn't had a great game, he always responds. He always bounces back. He always has the same demeanor. And that, to me, speaks volume about a guy that you would want on your team.
0: He has unbelievable court vision. And, oh, it's and insane. That, it it's goes insane. back. I remember covering him at Ohio State because I was doing the draft back then for SI. And, and he committed a bunch of turnovers. But I remember writing down my notes, like, some of these turnovers are because his teammates can't catch his passes. Like he's seeing something before they're seeing it, and they don't have their hands up in time uh, to make the catch. He's just a a, a incredible, his incredible vision for a player. I just wonder. I mean, do the Nets look at him as a building block type player? Because you know they're gonna have some opportunities this offseason. Do you think they they see him? as part of their foundation moving forward?
2: I I think they've been very smart about wanting to see, okay, we we understand the work you put in this summer. He, of course, had that knee injury last year, so missed a a good chunk of time in the season. They saw the work he put in this past summer. They see how his teammates respond to him. I think they wanted to see how he produced the remainder of the season and what he's done, And, and I I don't know, but in my opinion, I think the way he's been playing certainly looks that way. I mean, to think about the young core. And I think another major aspect is, you know, they just give Spencer Dinwiddie that extension. Those two can play really well together. They play on the floor well together. Kenny Atkinson has implemented three-guard lineups often with Shabazz Napier, who's been really a solid pickup and in, in great off the bench. But that to me, like that's always the other question. Oh, can he Can he play on the ball? Can he play off the ball? Can he play in different positions? And no one really, he doesn't have to be the point guard, um, similar to a Spencer Dinwiddie. And so if, if you have that, I mean, what more do you want In terms of guys and in this age of positionless basketball, guys that can create, can make plays, can pass, can shoot, um, and and he could do a little bit of all that. So, yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting to see. And, you know, a restricted free agent. So, I I don't know if the Nets make an offer right away. I don't know if they wait to see, you know, what the market looks like and what other teams may offer them. But um, it's going. It's going to be fascinating to kind of see where things finish up throughout the remainder of the season if he continues to play at this level and then, you know, what type of piece he may be. But I think he's answered all questions about the type of character he is and the type of teammate that he is.
0: I'm interested to see if one of those – I mean, there's a handful of point guard starved teams out there that have cap space going into next summer. I mean, Phoenix tops the list. I mean, they badly need a point guard. Uh, you got Orlando that, that needs a point guard. Uh, throw the Bulls into that mix uh, for a point guard. Will yeah. one of those teams go so crazy that the Nets don't want to match? But if Brooklyn doesn't wind up getting, you know, I, don't, I don't know if they're going to get Kyrie Irving, but I think that's someone on their radar. But if they don't wind up getting a, a top-tier free agent, do they have to match that contract? Is it, is it too high? He, he really is maybe, I don't want to say the most interesting free agent, but among the restricted free agents, probably the most interesting guy just because of all the other options.
2: And also in in terms of trying to get a free agent, I mean, he's becoming a guy that I would think players have shown that players want to play with. So Mm -hmm. how does that factor in?
0: Yeah, it's crazy. All right. So you got your Nets stuff out of there. Anything else you want to say about the Nets? You, you good there?
2: I'm good. I'm good.
0: good All right. Let me move on to the all-stars and look there. When, and filling out my ballot, there are two sections that are pretty easy. Um, the backcourt in the Western Conference—that's easy. That's Harden, Steph Curry. Yeah. but' on mine anyway. Uh, and the front court in the Eastern Conference: Giannis, Kawhi, Joel Embiid. After that, a Oof. little. You disagree
2: with the front? <laughs> no, court or, I agree. Okay. I okay. I'm glad I'm not a voter. I'm uh, I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts.
0: I I am I am the voter a voter and the, the the okay let's start with the Eastern Conference backcourt the easy one out of the way this was. Tough finding the other guard opposite Kyrie Irving because there are a handful of really good uh, options there. Uh, Kemba Walker is having a career year in Charlotte, the Hornets, as we speak, are in that playoff mix. Uh, ben Simmons, as a point guard, I guess uh, he's playing well uh, in um, in Philadelphia. You got uh, what was it up uh, uh, Bradley Beal Bradley in Beal. Washington uh, having a great year as well. I went with Kemba Walker at this spot because I just wonder what what would the Hornets be without Kemba Walker. Like they, they would be lost in the wilderness without yep. this guy. His his offensive numbers are through the roof. He's one of the best pick and roll players in the NBA. It's not it's not favoritism because the game's in Charlotte, but I, I just thought Oh, I didn't even I th- think about that. It, yeah, I I thought about that Good briefly. Aspect. But it I just think if you know Simmons is having a great year but he's on a team with another All-Star and Embiid now with Jimmy Butler. Uh, Beal played great and has been pretty consistent, but that team has been just a mess for most of the season. Not his fault, but it's been a mess for most of the season. I, I just give, I just lean ever so closer to Kemba Walker. What do you think there? I,
2: I like where you're at. I was leaning there. My, my, in narrowing things down, came down to Kemba and Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. Um, Bradley Beal has been... Excellent, but I have a hard time. I think this comes back to when you're deciding these teams, to what importance are you putting on how the team is doing and how much you factor in time missed for injury. Um, and with Bradley Beal in Washington, again, not his fault, but the team is just doing too poorly for me to feel like he should get that spot. Um, ben, I have Because Ben Simmons, there's always so much focus on – His lack of a jump shot and his lack of ability to be able to shoot but his numbers are just so impressive in how he does everything what he does on the defensive end of the floor the versatility that he brings to the table um but i do agree with and that's where i think kemba walker gets the edge here that team wouldn't even be close the fact that they are in the playoff hunt and doing what they're doing. They wouldn't. You take him off the team, and it's you know they wouldn't even have a chance. And and we've seen the numbers that he's put up, the way he can score. And I just, I I think for me, and now that you bring up the Charlotte, um, Charlotte aspect, but I think someone that is that instrumental to everything that a team does uh, probably deserves it.
0: You know, I'd love to see if if the Hornets don't open the vault for Kemba Walker this summer, I'd love to see him in Milwaukee. That just makes a lot oh. of sense to me.
2: Why, he, you, Bledsoe? You're not sold on, or ah,
0: uh, he's fine, but I think Kemba's an upgrade. And if you renounce some of these guys, you can make room for a max level contract for Kemba Walker. Is Bledsoe's Kemba, contract up? It's it's up, and yeah, but I think there's like some kind of I forget the logistics of it, but okay. he, anyway. he, Kemba Kemba could fit into under that cap. So Kemba, Giannis, Chris Middleton, I think that's an upgrade for that team. Yeah, but
2: anyway. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Kemba. Yeah. I so think, I, all right. Yeah. So
0: we're on the same page with uh, with Kemba Walker in that that slot there. Did you
2: consider Oladipo at all?
0: I did. His numbers were you know, before the knee injury, he was playing like the MVP. After the knee injury, he's still playing well. It, it's just that the shooting percentages dip dipped pretty significantly. So he was in the mix. If they had been, if he had been playing at the same level he played prior to the knee injury, might have been an would... even tougher call. Gotcha. But I I, I leaned towards Kemba. Uh, on this one. All right, the Western Conference even tougher when you get to the front court positions there. I counted five guys that yes. deserve slash, you know, uh, are in the conversation for uh, slots there. You got LeBron James, you got Kevin Durant, uh, of course, the, the stalwarts, Anthony Davis uh, in that mix, Paul George, uh, the type of year that he's having uh, in Oklahoma City, and the newcomer who is Nikola Jokic in the fight for. A starter spot. I gave my starting spots to Jokic, Paul George, and... uh, Durant? Anthony Davis.
2: Oh, okay. At least you disagree. I wanted to disagree on something.
0: Okay. I left left LeBron out of the mix for the simple fact that he missed too many games. Uh, People can come back at me and say, well, Steph Curry missed a bunch of games too. LeBron, as I submitted my ballot on Monday, was out. And as far as I knew, there really wasn't a timetable... For him to be back, so it could be you know three, four, five more games that he missed. Steph Curry's played, I think, 34, 35 games. He missed a chunk of the season too, but I I, I thought LeBron's timeout uh, was a little bit more uh, significant. If he had played, no question, starter. Uh, but he hasn't. Durant wasn't even tougher call because he hasn't done anything wrong. Like it's not like Durant is 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 different than the player we've seen in years past. He's still an unbelievable scorer, but. You know, when I'm looking at at Jokic, I'm thinking you got to reward the team that has been at the top or right below the Western Conference standings for virtually the entire you know last month. So I, you, you got to give them props and give them credit. And Jokic has been playing, I think, every game this year, yeah, and played at a ridiculously high level. So I got to give it to him there. And Paul George is having the best two-way season of his career. His offensive numbers are great, and he right now is top two or three. In terms defensive of defensive player, player of the yeah. year, so yeah. I, it's it's excruciating in, in the sense that voting can be excruciating, <laughs> but it's it was I, I got to go with Jokic, Paul George, Anthony Davis. What say you?
2: I say I'm with you on Paul George, and I have never enjoyed watching him play so much. Um, I've always been a fan of his, but just watching him play this year, and especially on the defensive end, um, points he's putting up, the rebound, and, and on top of the fact in the Western Conference, they're what third? Are they still third? Third right now? Uh, anyway, but the fact that, to me, the, that factors in. Um, and by far the best player on Oklahoma City. So it, I like that in Paul George. Um, Jokic. I agree with on just rewarding the fact that he has been doing everything for Denver and the most pivotal piece, and they're been at the top of the conference, if not second, and second right now. Um, he's seven, he's something like seventh in assists in the league yeah. as a center. I mean, that's it's wild, extraordinary to watch what he's been doing. LeBron, while it seems so odd and kind of pains me a little bit, uh, j- just he's missed, and I probably wouldn't feel this way, if it were not for the fact that there were so many other hard decisions, I feel like he, because of the game's miss, you cancel him out. And then between KD and AD, to me, I I would go with KD because, mm-hmm. I mean, Anthony Davis, I, I know that, again, he's another player who's so integral with everything that New Orleans does, but just where they're at and where they sit in the Western Conference – I think KD gets the edge, and, of course, the talent around him. You can go on and on, but, I mean, he's 28-7-6. and 6. I mean, he's shooting over 50%, nearly 40% from three, over 90 from the free throw line. I mean, he just – to me, in the fact that Golden State is back at the top of the conference playing the way they are, have run off a streak like they have, um, I have a hard time not starting him. So I would go with uh, Durant, Jokic, and George. Let
0: me ask you this because – I mean, we're splitting hairs here because... We are, and that's guys... why it's
2: tough to, to rag on a guy at all because they're of such an elite level, but go ahead. Now, do,
0: do you take anything... Does, does it diminish Durant at all, the fact that when Steph Curry went out of the lineup, this team kind of malfunctioned? I mean, it was there was a stretch in November where they lost yeah. four in a row for the first time, I think, ever, and the entire month was pretty bad when Curry was out of the lineup. He comes back in, and... Everything's kind of copacetic. I looked at that, and if I was looking for a reason to lean towards somebody else, that would be one of them. Because in his kind of opportunity to be the number one guy, and there were plenty of other reasons for their struggles. Right. That was when Clay and it's Thompson early was... early in the season. Yeah, Clay, Clay was wasn't shooting well. And, and, yep. Yeah, it was just a lot of issues there. But if I if I'm looking for a reason to lean a different direction, that kind of gave me one. That they struggled so poorly when when curry went on the lineup
2: i i hear what you're saying and i can see that i just think how they play and especially what they do offensively functions so differently when steph curry is not in the lineup we've mm-hmm. we've seen that throughout the course of you know the past however many seasons and so i think it goes back to those reasons as you said clay was struggling more mightily from the field than we've ever seen out of him um, it was early in the season I think they were trying to figure out a lot of things and, and I think that with Durant how they play and we even saw that in the postseason last year is different in how they run more isolation how they will have him function offensively rather than a lot of that free-flowing movement and passing that we see and in the Warriors frankly are not as deep as I mean they have some of the best players in the world so you know No complaining on their end, but they're they're not quite as deep with their lineup and the other players they have and and who they're playing around. I just think Steph Curry – I mean, to me, that speaks to what Steph Curry is and why um, he's so extraordinary – with that offense because of everything that he does, the way he's a threat as soon as he crosses half court and how he's able to, to pass the ball. But I, I, I see what you're saying, but to me that doesn't factor in as much. And that doesn't factor in as much since it was towards the early part of the season when their team as a whole was not quite playing at the same level that now we've seen out of the past couple of weeks.
0: It's going to be interesting to see, you know, and I'm looking forward to the draft too. Now it's going to be televised. That's going to be a lot That's of fun. That's
2: going to be awesome. But,
0: uh, <laughs> I would just to see, you know, LeBron or Durant potentially coming off the bench in an All-Star game would be, would be kind of a sight to see.
2: Do you think they'll care? Do you think that uh,
0: <laughs> LeBron maybe not, Durant might, Durant might care, especially with Steph starting. Durant might care a little bit, but these guys, both these guys, have accomplished so much. They probably shouldn't, uh, given the circumstances. Just a goofy exhibition game. Uh, all right, let me ask you. One last thing, and this is the the news of the last couple of days. Carmelo Anthony traded uh, from the Houston Rockets to the Chicago Bulls. He's not going to play a game for the Bulls, so shout-out to anybody that has a Carmelo Anthony Bulls and Hawks jersey. I'd like to see uh, those on social media at some point. But Carmelo is now at some point going to become a free agent once again, and I don't really know what the marketplace is going to look like for him. I mean, everybody's kind of connecting him to the Lakers, but – you know everything I've I've heard is that the Lakers are not well, going to. They'd have
2: to what waive a guaranteed. Yeah, and I, I, I did. I, and I
0: some a part of me thinks that's sort of the Lakers' way of saying like we don't really want him. Like it's it, it's it is the LeBron connection, and maybe LeBron wants him for that reason. But I don't think the Lakers as a team are all that interested. A team I think that would be interested. That's Miami. My Miami has no problem kind of taking on distressed assets and you know trying to squeeze something extra out of it. they doing it for their you know, the entire Pat Riley, Eric Spolsch era. I mean, Hassan Whiteside's still there. Dion Waiters is still there. I think Miami could be a landing spot, especially with Dwayne Wade still playing. But outside of that, I don't know where, you, where Carmelo Anthony makes any sense at this point. On top of it, he hasn't played in like two months. So what kind of condition is he in to going me, into this? To natural? me,
2: that's the biggest aspect. I mean, that he hasn't played in too much. And how many people at that stage of the career could just bounce back and be ready to play and ready to contribute and impact? And in Miami, you're probably right, Miami being the best option. I don't see it happening with the Lakers. Um, I know that gets tossed around, and whether it's because of his relationship with LeBron. or, But it, I, I feel like Houston, and, and I have the utmost respect for the career Carmelo Anthony had, the player that he was um, in – it to come to this point I think Houston to me was was the last shot mm. and the fact that it lasted what 10 games and they were paying them the the minimum and it, they still felt like it wasn't the right fit for their team shows me that maybe maybe it might be time for him to just hang it up and I don't know if that's what he wants. I mean I think it's it's to his decision and wherever if he can find a spot or a place that will take him but um I'm not sure at what point, as you mentioned, when you have not played throughout the better part of the first half of the season, where is best to go? And if he does go to Miami, it, it, will he be contributing to the lineup? He'll still be coming off the bench. How much playing time is he going to get? Does that factor into what he thinks he should be doing and whether he wants to do it? I mean, it's all it's all his his decisions, and I feel like that's a big part of understanding that. How he wants his career to end is his own decision and his own choice, um, but I I'm not sure what options will actually be out there for him.
0: Yeah, Miami's a little bonkers because like they, they I mean, they would have probably made a run at John Wall if John Wall didn't yeah. get hurt. Like they just mm-hmm. they just think they can take anybody and put them into that system and squeeze something positive out of them. So I could see that, but. You know, what we learned and what Houston learned and what, frankly, Houston probably should have known given what we saw at the end of last season is that Carmelo Anthony at this stage of his career is a role player. And he doesn't have the depth of skills to be an effective role player. At his best, he can be a volume scorer. for he's, He gets it rolling. He is still capable on some nights of giving you 15, 20, 25 points. But if he's not, he's not defending at a high level. He's not rebounding at a high level. He doesn't give you that kind of multi-position versatility that you know, say, what was it Jeremy Grant uh, uh, had in Oklahoma City. That's why he was getting some of those minutes at the very end. And in 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 uh, I forget who they were uh, putting him in. There was Ennis. They were playing more in Houston uh, when in, in those James Carmelo Lewis, Anthony, yeah, yeah types yeah. of minutes. So, no. you know, where do you where do you plug him in? Like, what winner well, is going to take him on and plug him into? The role that makes sense for him, like you need, he honestly like if you want to squeeze more mu- uh, time of his career, you, like go to Atlanta and sell like tickets, <laughs> like that. That's kind of all. That I don't know. How, I don't know how a winner takes him on. Think he can be valuable. I, I I would say this about Carmelo too because. He's been a great guy through all this. Yes, like was what, a great guy in Oklahoma City, a doubt. Absolutely. solid citizen in, in, in Houston. Yeah, it's just that the game might have passed him by.
2: Well, and think about how the game is played now, and what teams want, especially for a role player. I mean, it's positionless. They want someone that's versatile. They want someone that could guard multiple positions. And if it's not so much about that, and an ability to score some live legs. Can you get up and down? Um, can you score in different ways? And when Carmelo has it going the volume shoot i mean it's it's a lot of catch and shoot it's a lot of isolation it's a lot of you know is a, is the ball's necessarily not necessarily popping and moving um when he is in that offensive rhythm. So is that what teams want? And I think, you know, if you're taking on someone towards the end of their career, it's not like you're looking at a guy that, okay, we can develop him or figure this out or he can fit into our roster in this capacity. And I can't think of many teams that are, you know, whether it's championship caliber teams or just contending teams um, as they're trying to get into the playoffs and make a push that it makes much sense to, to bring him on, if at all.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I tend to agree with you. Sarah, always appreciate you coming in to join me. Thanks for uh, stopping by in the freezing cold to do the podcast.
2: Anything for you, Mannix.
0: That's what I, I like to hear. Shooter?
2: What was your nickname when Shooter. you were a kid?
0: Shooter was my high school <laughs> nickname, and I wasn't a very good one, so it was kind of... Uh,
2: ironic, an yeah, ironic nickname.
0: Something like that. On that note, thanks for joining me, Sarah.
2: Thanks, Chris. All
0: right, that's it for this week's episode. As always, you can download archived episodes on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, post a comment, leave a rating. You know I appreciate it, and I'll see you next week.